Radio Richard. Hi, I'm Richard Niles, secretly loving to invite you to Sentimental Journey with Doris Day. I always talk fast. Oh, yeah. Oh, I do. You want it slower? A little bit. Artist choice, take two. Secret Love is my choice of a favorite song. As you know, it was written by two wonderful writers and two of my very good friends, Sammy Fain and Paul Francis Webster, for a picture, Calamity Jane, which I enjoyed working in so much. Of course, with all of this in its favor, Secret Love had to wind up as my favorite record. Hey, Doris, my producer tells me to speak slower, too. That wonderful clip of Doris Day doing a promo voiceover gives away the secret of our featured song tonight. Warner Brothers signed Doris to a seven-year contract in 1948, and she starred in a string of wonderful film musicals like My Dream is Yours, It's a Great Feeling, Tea for Two, West Point Story, and On Moonlight Bay. But Doris's favorite was 1953's Calamity Jane, where she played a character so close to her own that her son Terry still calls her Calamity. Among all the gunplay and dancing was a sensitive romantic song she made an all-time classic. Once I had a secret love That lived within the heart of me Doris's voice coach had told her to practice as if she were singing privately to one person. Was she so comfortable in front of the camera because she applied this to her acting? Totally. I really felt that I was home. Thanks, Doris. And I guess because you were a very disciplined artist, even as a teenager, you didn't need Valium to calm your nerves in front of the camera. Well, many people do, yeah. Many people get very nervous. I never did. It's odd. I don't know why not, but I never did. Despite the physically demanding work she put into it, Doris chose to remember the real joy of making that picture. I think that I had more fun in that part than anything I've ever done. And um, I jokingly always said, that's the real me, you know. But it was just fun. And um, the songs were so, so good, and, and the dancing, everything. I loved everything about it. It was just really a lark. She has a purity about her and a, a fun sense uh, that I think Calamity Jane really expressed in her. Producer of the off-Broadway show Secret Love, The Real Doris Day, Karen Oberlin. And she's also an expert comedienne. I think she stands alone as the actress who was a successful actress in that field, a separate successful recording artist, and separately a successful comedienne. In fact, many of her co-stars learned to act in comedy through her because she had honed her skills before she ever hit Hollywood with Bob Hope. So she was an incredible comedian, although people don't think of her that way because she made it look so easy. Too easy, perhaps. Now that her performance has become a classic, it's amazing to learn that Doris herself thought her voice was totally wrong for the role. That's what was kind of strange to me. I said, now when I sing, I'm not going to sound like that. But if I used my own voice, it wasn't tough enough. I had to really get down there, you know. Feel it, but don't try it. That was one of the lines. I had to, I was always barking at somebody, hollering at somebody. And it just, it didn't, my voice didn't fit. Oh, the Deadwood stages are rolling on over the plains. A beautiful sky 
The beautiful Oscar-winning ballad Secret Love contrasts with the wide variety of songs in the film like Men, Windy City, A Woman's Touch, Higher Than a Hawk, The Black Hills of Dakota, and Love You Dearly. Composer Sammy Fain remembers the first song he wrote with lyricist Paul Francis Webster, The Deadwood Stage. We read the script, Paul Webster and myself, and uh, I tried to capture the locale, you know. I knew it was a western, and uh, the first song we wrote was the Deadwood stage, which planted the story, it set it off, and we had a completely different construction. And it sounded all right, but I said, Paul, I like to construct and try to get away from the usual meter. Happy times are coming for to stay. And I played around with it, and I started singing. Oh, the dead wood stage is a heaven on the hill. Beautiful and wonderful day. Whip, crack away, whip, crack away, whip, crack away. But Calamity Jane was also a symbol of feminine independence. She may be a freckle-faced blonde, but look out! She'd stand up to any man or woman, joking, singing, dancing, and brawling with her brawny co-star, Howard Keel, who played the man she fell for, Wild Bill Hickok. And I said, why don't we just lay this out, because otherwise I'm going to have to muscle you on these fight scenes. She said, oh, we're working out. And, uh, and she's a big girl and strong. And there's one scene particularly when she wouldn't get in the wagon. And I went and threw in the buggy and get him. And uh, <laughs> we went for a rehearsal <laughs> And she came on like a scalded cat, you know. And I said, hey, Doris, I, you know, I said, if you want to come on like that, I'm going to have to, you know. She said, well, that's it, that's it, that's the scene. I said, okay. And so she did, and I really picked her up, and I really threw her can in that wagon. When I set her down, I, I, I didn't take any uh, precautions at all. And, and by God, she was angry for three days, I think, you know, because I really set her down. And in that, uh, in that song, uh, I Can Do Without You, it's the only time in the films that I never pre-recorded because it was so physical and uh, bounced around. So we did it actually live on stage with a piano. Doris wrote about her acting experience in her autobiography and the exhaustion she suffered after it. Calamity Jane was a demanding picture, but no more so than a few others I had done. I loved portraying Calamity Jane, who was a rambunctious, pistol-packing prairie girl, I lowered my voice and stuck out my chin a little. I can't say that the physical hijinks of jumping on horses, bars, wagons, and belligerent men, or doing pratfalls in muddy streams, seemed to be particularly exhausting while I was doing the picture. I had a great working relation with my co-star, Howard Keel, and absolutely first-rate songs to sing by Sammy Fain and Paul Webster, one of which, Secret Love, became my third million-plus recording and won that year's Academy Award. When Doris Day was presented the song Secret Love for the film Calamity Jane, she took one look at it and saw the high notes involved and said, I can't sing the song. The trooper that she always was said, I'll give it a try. It's a little hard for me to believe Doris Day could pronounce the word can't. Musical director Ray Heindorf had been head of Warner's music department since 1929 and orchestrated, arranged, or wrote the scores to over 140 films. He remembered the recording of Secret Love. Doris had been ill, and um, the recording date was set for 1 o'clock in the afternoon. And uh, she says, why don't you come over and have lunch? We'll go back to the studio and we'll make it. And I went back at 1 o'clock, rehearsed the orchestra for about 15 minutes. And Doris came in about 1.20 and made 
three takes of the song. She was through at about 20 minutes to two. I picked some portions of take three and some portions of take one. And that was Secret Love. Of course, in films, you pre-record and then you sing to playback. And I had never done that as a recording star. But that came very easy to me. They used to always say, she'll do it in one take. And I usually did. I'm not bragging, but I usually did because it was easy. Lyricist Paul Francis Webster has quite a different story to tell. She's a very nervous type person. She always thinks it's not her type song. And she was looking at the rushes, and she didn't like the way it came off. So she was all powerful. So she had the thing thrown out. So Sammy Fain and I get a call around 5 or 6 in the morning. Can we get out to the Warner Brother Ranch? And uh, I said to Ray, what for? He said, the song Secret Love is out of the picture. we got to get it back in. And we finally did, obviously. The song starts quietly because she must keep her secret love secret still. Once I had a secret love. Sung very softly and smoothly and warmly in traditional Doris Day style. It has just before this exciting bridge. Now I shout it from the highest hills, right? Pronouncing this love. For Doris's great friend and co-star in the Doris Day show, Jackie Joseph, the song makes her think about Doris's house in the rustic and beautiful town of Carmel, California. When you think of the song Secret Love, you think of Doris right now, how she's living. It's like her secret love is with her right now. She lives up on the hill, and the lyrics say, Now I shout it from the highest hill. I even told the golden, the golden daffodils. And sort of comes down a bit now that she's sort of gotten that out of her system. That now, now my heart's an, an open, open door. door. And with a big smile and my secret and love. And no secret, secret anymore. No secret anymore. Her life is her secret love. It's a nice, happy ending for her, isn't it? And we're all very happy for her, of course, uh, watching her on horseback as she sings this song, because it coincides with that uh, as sort of blossoming into a woman, from this sort of manly woman into this uh, uh, womanly woman. And it also proved to be sort of an unspoken uh, theme song for the secret gay population of Hollywood and other places the idea of secret love. And I think that's why she sometimes is considered a hero of uh, gay and lesbian communities. The real work that goes into producing an entertaining confection like Calamity Jane took a heavy physical toll on Doris. As soon as the picture wrapped, her private life was a stark contrast to the happy-go-lucky, pistol-packing character she played so brilliantly. First, she suffered viciously negative reviews from critics who said her performance was strained and hardly realistic. They said she was copying Betty Hutton, who had appeared three years earlier with Howard Keel in Annie Get Your Gun. When she turned down interviews, she lamented that the press called her snooty, a movie queen aloof in her throne. When she failed to sing Secret Love at the Academy Awards, columnists again misinterpreted it, giving her the Sour Apple Award. Doris remembered this period in her autobiography. I became a virtual recluse, not going out of the house for days on end. The starting date was approaching for a new picture at Warner's, Lucky Me, with Robert Cummings and Phil Silvers, but I postponed all my pre-production meetings, such as costume fittings. I didn't speak to my friends, and I canceled all recording dates, interviews, and other publicity activities. My only concern was survival. 
I lost weight rapidly. My depression was so deep, so numbing, that often I stayed in bed from morning till night. Calamity Jane was released across the country during my convalescence, and I was amused to think that the silver-screens, two-fisted, back-slapping, pistol-toting Doris Day was, in reality, a basket case doing dead man's floats. The image and the reality. That's what it's all about, isn't it? Despite her troubles, Doris's great friend and arranger Frank Comstock says Doris still remembers the songs from Calamity Jane with great affection. The first picture I got a nice credit on was uh, Calamity Jane. And that's interesting because 20 years later when, we, when my wife Joni and I go to see her at Carmel, she meets us at the airport and then way <laughs> thousands of people or a hundred people, whatever, you hear her saying, singing one of the songs from Calamity Jane, which broke us up because she always had that hickey voice, you know, the, you know how the, she did in that picture. I just got back from the Windy City, you know, or something like that. And so, you know, we had fun and we'd laugh at that. I just flew in from the Windy City. With the sad death of the Hollywood studio system, Doris and her husband, Marty Melcher, set up their own independent production company in 1955 and made many movies distributed by MGM. One of her finest films was the intense dramatic musical Love Me or Leave Me, co-starring James Cagney. A lavish biography of singer Ruth Etting, it was grittier than anything she had done at Warner's. The story of an artist pushed to her limits by her manager, there was an obvious resonance to her relationship with Melcher. Biographer Michael Friedland thinks Doris's performance here surpassed Calamity Jane. I think she was very much better in Love Me or Leave Me. Um, it was a break away from her stock character in the romantic comedies with people like Rock Hudson and Clark Gable. You know, it was, a, it was an attempt on her part to break away, and break away she did, and very, very successfully. She hated the idea of having to appear in front of Cagney in her underwear. But she did that, too, because it's part of the game. I was working uh, at that time on a local newspaper. I was a very, very young film critic. And I, I rang the studio publicist and said, can I have a, a cheesecake picture of Doris Day from Love Me or Leave Me? And the publicist said, Miss Day does not do cheesecake. Tell me. I love you more than all the heroes and all the history books in the world. Tell me. What a woman, I'll tell you. In 1957, Doris made another classic musical for Stanley Donan and George Abbott, The Pajama Game. Co-star John Raitt recalls her first day of shooting at Warner Brothers. Jack Warner, the president of the studio, was there, and Stanley Donan, the picture director, and George Abbott, our Broadway director, and Doris's husband, Doris uh, was Barney Melcher, used to be my agent, as a matter of fact. And... Uh, we got acquainted, and then finally Stanley Donnan says, John, let's you and Doris and I go out on the back lot and stage the Once Was a Man number from Pajama Game, and uh, we'll have it ready to be shot later on in, 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 the, in the shooting. So we went out. It was a very physical number, a wonderful number. Stopped the show in New York, as a matter of fact. Stanley says to me, John, can you catch Doris if she just runs and jumps into your arms? I said, sure, I'm very strong in those days. So here she comes. She comes running, and I jump in, put my arms out. Apparently a bone in my wrist or something broke one of her ribs, and so that's a nice introduction. Put her in a hospital the first day I met her. Doris is an extremely professional performer. I mean, she never once came to the, the set without knowing her lines. 
And she's the greatest crier I ever knew. She could cry on cue. You just say cry, and she cries, you know. It was a perfect part for her. Yeah, I think she enjoyed very much playing it. Personal tragedy seems to have made Doris sensitive to suffering of both animals and people. The only time she asserted her status as star of the show was on New Year's Day. Carol Haney, who played the leading female dancing comedic part, been sick. And we noticed, that Eddie Ford and I both noticed that, that she either had diabetes or pneumonia. And uh, on that day, after lunch, remember looking up, and here was George Abbott, our Broadway director, and Stanley Donnan, literally carrying her to the set so she could do the scene. And Doris says, look, after we finished, she was able to do the scene on just by instinct, I think, or by rote. And uh, Doris just said, all right, this girl is sick, take her to the hospital. Pillow talk, pillow talk. I remember from our most recent conversation when it was totally devoted to her animals. Biographer Michael Friedland. And I thought, you know, it's lovely to know that she's so kind to animals, that she has this ambulance that she goes out driving herself to pick up animals, stray animals or animals in road accidents. Isn't it sweet that she tucks these animals up in bed at night and feeds them properly? That's not the Doris Day I would really like to remember. I loved being at Warner Brothers. I really did. I mean, there were scripts that I didn't think. You do what they ask you to do, but you can't like everything. You know, some scripts come in, oh. But I did them. And if you do the best that you can and give 100%, I don't think anything can hurt you. The Doris Day I would like to remember was the girl who sang Sentimental Journey, the girl who was in the in one of her very first films, uh, Romance on the High Seas, singing its magic, and the girl who starred opposite Kirk Douglas in Young Man with a Horn, and even the girl in the romantic comedies, because I also love the voice on the voiceovers and over the credits, some of those lovely old songs. Que sera, sera. Well, whatever will be, will be, and what will be is that my producer, Fiona Kroll, is putting a hook around my neck to get me out of here. So thanks for that fee, and thanks to our contributors, John Raitt, Michael Friedland, Frank Comstock, Jackie Joseph, Karen Oberlin, Paul Francis Webster, Ray Heindorf, Howard Keel, Sammy Fain, and young Doris herself. Next week, we'll look at Doris's fight for animal rights and her move into TV with The Doris Day Show, where she used Que Sera Sera as her theme song. Some of you may have noticed I'm still Richard Niles, asking you to listen in next week for our final sentimental journey with the lovely Doris Day. Radio Richard.